Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Gabriel Benedetti has a hot book. He's the national correspondent at New York Magazine. He writes about politics and national affairs. Previously, he covered politics for Politico and Reuters. The book is called The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Gabriel, congrats on the book. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. I've been working on my pronunciation of the beginning of Chapter 5. I think it goes like this. Who to fucking thunk it? How'd I do? (laughs) That's pretty good. That sounds a lot. You've got the Joe accent down. So in what context did the current president of the United States utter those words? Uh, The Joe Biden who to fucking thunk it line is the context of, you know, him joining the Obama ticket. It's important to remember that when these two first got together as a political partnership back in 2008, no one really expected it. Yeah, it was the conventional wisdom that Biden would be a good choice for Obama. 
But these two are very different guys on very different political trajectories. And Biden sort of was stepping back to say, really, this is going to work. All right, let's do this. Uh, you know, he didn't have that great a relationship with a lot of the folks around Obama. This was coming off of his uh, not running a very good or impressive 2008 presidential campaign and Obama obviously doing great and winning that primary. And so Biden was just stepping back. You know, he had just thought he was going to spend the rest of his life in the Senate. And now he's thinking, all right, vice presidency, here I come. Right. In other words, it's not, as you reveal in the book, it's not because they they had some particularly strong relationship. It was really rather that Biden provided things that Obama thought he needed to be successful in that election, namely experience. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's more. It's a little bit more than that. But I, I want to take a step back for a second and say it's not just that they didn't have a particularly strong relationship. They had an actively bad one or a lack of relationship until that point when they worked together in the Senate. You know, Biden was this senior member who'd been around for a really long time. Obama was this up and comer. Uh, they just didn't really see eye to eye. They didn't clash so much as not really have a lot to do with each other. So when they finally got together as a ticket, yeah, Obama saw that Biden had experience. You know, his team was literally looking for an older person with literally gray hair. Uh, you know, he was someone who had foreign policy experience, Capitol Hill experience. And as far as the politics went, he was an older, moderate white man meant to reassure a lot of voters who at the time were expressing even to pollsters that they were unsure about this young, inexperienced black politician. So Biden was brought in as this reassurance. But the two of them, one-on-one, they didn't have this real personal relationship, and that didn't come for a long time. The re- quote, the relationship is significantly more complicated than widely appreciated. Complicated how? Well, it has tons of up and downs. I mean, I think I want to preface this by saying there's no doubt that this is the closest relationship that we've seen in modern political history between a president and vice president or a president currently and former president. Um, But that said, you know, a lot of hidden ups and downs that were both personally and politically painful for the two of them over their course of eight years together and even since office. And so while you, you know, they publicly have shared this image of a bromance, as a lot of people like to call it, it's certainly true that they're close. They have seen, you know, politics differently a lot over the years, whether that's on how to push for Obamacare, what to do with the war in Afghanistan. And, you know, there was no more painful experience of that for them than the 2016 election, which is obviously something we're still, you know, living through the ramifications of. Biden wanted to run in that election. He couldn't emotionally because his son was ill and then passed away. But at the same time, uh, Obama was trying to dissuade him from running, not only for personal reasons, but also for political ones. He thought that Hillary Clinton should be his heir, should be the next step for Democrats. And so they had a series of really complicated, difficult, uh, painful conversations that I you know, talk about in the book that I lay out in some detail. And in which it becomes clear to Biden that even though they had been together hand in hand for eight years, Obama didn't think of him as, you know, the political partner that Biden thought he was. Right. And by your telling, there's never any definitive conversation where Biden tells him, Joe, you shouldn't or Joe, you can't. But the way in which Obama handles him, I think, leaves Biden with a very clear impression that he doesn't think this is something that I should do and probably wishes that he can go for Hillary. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's the other important context is that at the time, Obama was doing a lot of praising of Clinton publicly, but also 
sending staffers to work for her, giving her advice privately. There wasn't a lot of ambiguity about this. And Biden never thought that Obama had to give him permission to run. So it wasn't as if he was asking Obama's permission, but it was still painful and made him, you know, second think himself a lot when you had his partner, the guy who he was spending up to seven hours a day with, essentially saying, I don't think this is right for you. And, you know, again, I want I want to be clear. There are personal parts of this. Obama thought that Biden couldn't sustain this because he physically, emotionally, mentally just wasn't doing well at the time. And people around Biden agreed with that. But there is also this political calculus that is completely inescapable at the same time. And the two of them, you know, it didn't divide them, but it certainly created some distance even into the 2020 election when in the run up to that, Biden made very clear that he thought he, he was the right person, that he had to be the person to save the country from Trump. And it took Obama a really long time to come around to that idea. He, for a long time, was skeptical. He wanted to hear a lot more about why Biden thought he was the right person for this new political moment. And it wasn't until, you know, late in the 2020 campaign that he really finally decided, okay, you know, the primary campaign, I mean, that he finally decided, all right, let's get the band back together here. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash 
Smirconish, netsuite.com slash Smirconish, netsuite.com slash Smirconish. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive. Then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. I'm going to read from your book. The context here is the passing of Bo Biden and the references to yeah. President Obama. As he wound down, he turned to Bo's two children and told them, fighting off tears, that he, Michelle and their daughters were honorary members of their family and that, quote, we're always here for you. We always will be yeah. my word as a Biden. And then he turned to Joe and Jill. Michelle and I, thank God you are in our lives. Taking this ride with you is one of the greatest pleasures of our lives. Joe, you are my brother. He paused and looked him in the eyes. Pretty poignant moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And those moments, you know, they do happen a lot, especially in the latter days of their uh, time in office. You know, that was obviously one of the most public and most painful for them, for everyone involved, because Obama had gotten to know Bo Biden as well. Um, But I think that's, you know, you're really getting to why I wanted to write this book and why I think it's important that people understand this relationship, because for all the political, some differences, you know, some instances where they were really hand in hand, this is also a very close personal relationship of a kind that is pretty remarkable, given how different they are. You know, they're 19 years difference. They came up in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different cultures. Their politics were not always that similar. They had very different experiences when they came to know each other. You know, Biden started running for president when Obama before Obama even got to law school. So think about what that means for how they how they think about the world. And yet there is really a personal partnership there that I tried to get into in this book. So, you know, this is a really multifaceted relationship. And I would argue that it's changed the contours of this relationship have really shaped the world around us for 20 years now, whether it's responses to wars, recessions, but also, you know, it's shaped both parties and three presidencies and how many presidential elections were coming up on a fourth one now. Well, I like the way that you characterized it as complicated. Aren't all of our relate? Yeah. Do any of us have a close friend with whom the relationship isn't sometimes fraught or complicated? I, I certainly fit into that category. I wish, I wish that I could challenge Gabriel Benedetti 
on your assertion that they have the closest relationship, complicated as it may be, of any president and vice president, at least in the modern era. But when I think through, I'll just go 80 forward where it's yeah. it's Carter and Mondale and then it's Reagan and Papa Bush, George uh, W. Bush and Dan Quayle, Bill Clinton and Al Gore, W. and Cheney. Then it's Obama and Biden. Then it's Trump and Pence. And of course, now it's Biden and Kamala Harris. When you go through each of those and ask yourself, do you think that Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale, for those who remember, were closer than Obama and Biden? The answer is no way. Yeah, no way at all. And I think that's an important thing to remember. You know, I've been getting a lot of questions about how the current Biden-Harris experience compares. And the answer is it's completely different in every way. They just don't have the same kind of relationship. And people are surprised by how we've gotten to this point. But I think this speaks to actually the bond of the, 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 the extent of the bonds between Biden and Obama, because it really did change the way that we think about the modern vice presidency. You know, Biden got a lot of inspiration from Mondale and from some others, including Gore, in terms of how to actually act as vice president. But in terms right. of the public perception of the two of them and their governing partnership, it's just not the modern norm that you have this kind of lockstep. And that, of course, is why it's painful when they do break from each other politically. But it's also very interesting that we are surprised now when you have a president and vice president who don't see eye to eye. I mean, think about it. Our most recent example isn't Biden and Obama. It's Pence and Trump. And we know how that one ended. Gabriel Benedetti is the author of a brand new book. It's called The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. I hope you can tell that I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, by 2020, it's interesting, by 2020, actually, I guess before we get to the 2020 campaign, Barack Obama is holding, what did you call them, office hours? And and all of those who are in pursuit of the nomination are making a pilgrimage. And I was really surprised by how blunt he was with each of them when they would come in, whether it's Mayor Pete, whether it's Elizabeth Warren, whether it's Beto, for those who remember he was initially a candidate. Can you speak to that? Yeah, Obama, you know, thought of the 2020 election. He thought that, you know, he was going to be neutral from the start, which, of course, was painful to Biden. But let's move beyond that for a second. He thought, let me be someone who can offer advice to all these people. And so you'll recall in the earliest days of that, you know, pre-campaign, there were like 50 people who thought that they could be president. So he didn't take meetings with all of them. But dozens of people came by this office in Washington to have this conversation with Obama. And he basically gave them the same spiel about being ready to run a campaign, making sure your family is ready for it, making sure you really think you're the right person to do it. But, you know, once it came time to then say any questions, these people basically asked for his advice. And they asked some of them asked him to you know, evaluate whether they thought it was a good idea. And there were some cases when he basically said, no, it's obviously not a good idea. You know, he was just discouraging with Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, who ultimately decided not to run. He was impressed with, with Pete Buttigieg, but thought he was too young, thought he was too short, didn't really see how this was going to work. He was very impressed with Warren and really liked that his daughters, you know, Sasha and Malia, had become big fans of hers. But he was also like, well, how is this going to work? How are you going to win over working class voters? And he would ask some of these questions right outright, even with Bernie Sanders, who he had a pretty cordial meeting with. He said, what is the plan here to win over people who don't always agree with you? And he had some more funny conversations, too, with people who were a little bit more of also rants. You know, he said to Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana, hey, you've nobody got knows pitch, who you are. No one knows. Yeah. No one knows who you are. You know, he right. said to Michael Bennett, who he was actually somewhat close with, he said, uh, you know, you could be a good president, but how exactly are you trying to break through in this campaign? It's going to be a circus. And, you know, Michael Bennett, say what you will about him. He's not the most scintillating campaigner. So Obama saw his role as being, you know, he didn't want to 
run these campaigns for these people, but he wasn't going to hold back if they asked for help. Gabriel, on the uh, on the issue of their relationship, Joe Biden, when he's asked to be the running mate, gets a pledge that he's going to have lunch. You correct me where I'm wrong. He's going to have lunch weekly with the president and and proceeds to do that. Um, In my mind, while I was reading your book, I'm wondering, was this a pain in the ass for Obama? Like, oh, my God, now I've got to have lunch with Biden again. Not that there's anything wrong with Biden, but, you know, I now have to go through the motions of this because it's our weekly luncheon. But you have convinced me that instead, via Joe Biden, Barack Obama gets a a glimpse of the world that he otherwise would not have had, not the least of which is that, you know, he's all kind of cooped up and seeing the same people on a regular basis. Can you address that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to be clear, there were definitely times when Obama said, oh, my God, this again, we really have to go through this. You know, look at the 2012 campaign. There were times when Biden wasn't in on the strategy meetings until he found out that they were happening behind his back which was a big frustration to him. But, you know, by and large, for the most part, Obama pretty early on realized that, you know, he was not going to be able to break out of the presidential bubble at all and that Biden would be a good way for him to, you know, while he was also in the bubble, have a human conversation with someone whose judgment he trusted and who also understood, you know, by and large, the pressures that he was dealing with. So they really went, you know, went in on that from the start. I recount in the book how, Biden started those meetings by, you know, in the first few weeks of the presidency, he came in with memos that Ron Klain, who was his chief of staff as VP, had prepared for him with talking points, with acts from the agencies, because that's how Al Gore and Bill Clinton had done it. And Ron Klain had been Al Gore's chief of staff, too. But about a month in, Biden turns to Ron to Klain and says, actually, don't do this anymore. I don't need these memos. We're just going to talk. So they talk about family. They talk about the pressures they're feeling. Obviously, they talk about politics and policy. Obviously, they talk about strategy. But it's also just an opportunity for both of them to really get to talk to each other as peers, as men. And it's interesting because Obama is obviously surrounded with a bunch of aides. He has friends from Chicago that he's close with still throughout his time in office. But he can't talk to them about politics in the same way. He can't talk to them about, can you believe what Mitch McConnell said in the same way? So in that sense, they had a privileged relationship. And it really meant something to Biden that by the end, he's going around telling people that he had calculated that they were spending up to seven hours a day together. You know, that's one of the reasons this is such a strong relationship. When you spend seven hours a day with someone for eight years on and off, uh, you know, they may drive you crazy, but you're going to be close whether you like it or not. Final question for Gabriel DiBenedetti on the book, The Long Alliance. Does Barack Obama believe that Joe Biden should run for reelection? They have not talked about it yet. Uh, And in fact, I don't think that Obama wants to talk about it with anyone who asks him about it. But he has been supportive of the Biden administration. They talk actually quite a lot, a lot more than most people know. Uh, But the fun thing is when they talk, there's no one else on the line. It's very secretive. Um, I do know that they haven't talked about 2024. I do know that Obama is very engaged in the conversation about, as he sees it, the future of democracy uh, and is thinking about how to be helpful for the 2024 election already. Um, but he's giving Biden some distance. And an important piece of context here is he was trying to dissuade Biden in 2016. He was not encouraging in 2020. So let's not pretend that Biden is going to call Obama and say, do you think I should do this? Joe right, Biden's been running for res- president since okay. before Obama was a politician. But respectfully, I I didn't ask you, have they addressed it? Have they spoken of it? I asked you, do you think Barack Obama believes Joe Biden should run for reelection? Because you invested all this time in writing this book. Like, I trust you know the vibe of the relationship. What do you think? Sure. I'm not trying to hedge uh, any more than I think Obama is trying to hedge right now. Um, I think he is open to the possibility 
that Biden should run for re-election. It certainly seems that he's being very supportive of anyone who asks that way. Let's put it this way. He has never, uh, never publicly, and as far as I know, never privately said a single thing doubting the idea that Biden should run for re-election because you know what he believes. He says, Joe's actually done a pretty good job here. And when you're the president, you're entitled to run for re-election. Does he think it's a good idea? That might be another conversation, but I honestly don't know the answer to that. I wish you good things with the long alliance, the imperfect union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Thank you, Gabriel. Yeah, thank you so much. Gabriel Benedetti, ladies and gentlemen. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.